Good morning, church. We're taking a break from Genesis this morning, as you remember. We're going to be talking the rapture. We're going to be talking the end times. We're going to be talking the last days. We're going to be talking the tribulation. Lots of topics in a short amount of time. Hopefully, maybe, possibly not. The movie that we're going to be watching this afternoon, as a lot of you know, we're doing a little potluck and movie matinee after church. The movie that we're going to be watching this afternoon is one of the many movies based off the Left Behind book series uh, that author Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye uh, wrote way back in, like I think they started back in 1995, I think is when the first book came out. And Jerry Jenkins, by the way, is the, is the father of Dallas Jenkins, who's doing the Chosen TV series, if you guys had never made that connection yet. Uh, but there have been many movies based off the Left Behind series, many that you probably don't even know about. I mean, you have the original ones, of course, with uh, Kirk Cameron back in 2000, and there was three of those movies. And then there was a, a reboot with Nicolas Cage that came out in 2014, which technically the movie that we're going to watch today is a sequel to, okay? Uh, Kevin Sorbo in the movie that we're going to watch today plays the character that Nicolas Cage played back in 2000. Not that it matters, right? I'm sure you'll be able to pick up what's going on regardless if you've seen the Nicolas Cage movie or not because I'm sure none of you have seen the Nicolas Cage movie. Um, but anyway, all that said, this morning we're not talking about the movie. We'll let the movie stand up for itself. I haven't watched it yet. I have no idea what we're in store for. None of these movies have ever won Academy Awards, if you know what I mean. But the movie, in a sense, is a... What, the, what is that here? The movie, in a sense, is, is fictional... Uh, in that, you know, the characters don't, aren't real people. They don't actually exist. They were created for the book series. There's a lot of, you know, creative liberties, of course, that have been taken and stuff like that. But on the other hand, the movie is based on biblical truth because it concerns the rapture, it concerns the tribulation, it concerns the Antichrist, it concerns the end times, all of these things which are going to happen and come all right, and are on their way. So... That's kind of what we need to understand, and that's why we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about today, is just to give us a little bit more understanding of this, not that you need it, right? But uh, eschatology matters, We should all get t-shirts. It just says, eschatology matters. Um, and that, but you might be saying, well, what's eschatology, right? But, uh, I mean, you should know this, come on. It comes from the Greek word eschatos. Eschatos means last, Okay. First uh, John 2.18, for example, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know it is the last hour, last, that's the word eschatos in the Greek, that's where the word eschatology comes from. And then, of course, you have logi at the end, you know, eschatology, logi comes from logos, somebody might try to tell you that it doesn't, um, but it does, just ignore them if they try to tell you it doesn't. Yeah, it does, and so that you have basically, and so yeah, study. So right, right, we have theology, which is the study of God, and we have soteriology. How do you pronounce that? Soteriology, which is the study of salvation. You have eschatology, which is the study of last. Technically, literal translation of the word eschatology, and I find this very interesting, is last word. Okay, last word, because logos is word, in a literal translation. So eschatology. Jesus taught it, the disciples taught it, right? The early church taught it, 
you should study it. John 14, 29 says, And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. All these prophetic things that Jesus told us are for when they happen and we see them happen, it helps our faith. We understand that Jesus keeps his word. Not that we didn't believe that to begin with, but yet we can see that through his prophetic word. One of the things that the Bible demands, if I can use such a strong word, one of the things that the Bible demands is that all Christians from then to now, right, from, 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 of every generation, let's just say, demands that they be faithful, that they be watching, and that they be ready for Christ's return. So we are to be educated in these matters. So that if nothing else, we can educate others about the hope that's found in Jesus. Right? People need to be aware of how things will unfold, what things will look like, how the current events that we're living through right now are laying a foundation for what is coming. Right? And the truth be told, we want no one to be left behind. No one. Right? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, as it tells us in Second Peter, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. He doesn't want anyone to be left behind. No one. So this morning we're going to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Those are the verses I picked to start with this morning. And if you think I'm going to do a word-for-word study through them, you're mistaken. But they are going to kick us off with what we're going to talk about this morning. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. This is one of the earliest letters he wrote. Uh, probably the second letter he wrote. It says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, because there was a letter supposedly that came in Paul's name that was not from Paul, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion or the falling away or the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or objects of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. That will be the abomination of desolation, halfway through the tribulation. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, that you just speak this to us this morning, that your spirit speak it to us, that you just draw us closer to you and see the truth, Lord, and the hope that's found, found in the last days, found in the end times, the hope that's found in Jesus, who gets the last word. We thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I started by wanting to read these verses in Thessalonians, and I have a lot of more verses for you, so if you're taking notes today, you better be prepared to write a lot down, right? It doesn't end here. I got a lot more. But as I told you, Paul's short time that he was in Thessalonica, it tells us that he was only there for three Sabbaths. It's not a very long time. Like, if you compare that to the time he spent in Ephesus, for example, he was there for years. Thessalonica, he was just there for three Sabbaths. But yet... In that short time that he was there, Paul taught them, along with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel, he taught them concerning the rapture, the tribulation, the end times. Right? He taught them eschatology. Remember, the Bible's roughly one-third prophecy. And all prophecy, believe it or not, gives credibility to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we shouldn't be intimidated by eschatology or any biblical prophecy. We shouldn't be intimidated by it. And it should be taught along with everything else. Because it's part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the letters that he wrote to Thessalonica, as I said earlier, are some of the earliest letters that they wrote. They're probably the first letters that Paul wrote. The first and the second letter that Paul ever wrote. Right? And he's writing to tell the church in Thessalonica here in the second letter... He's writing to tell them, hey, quit freaking out, all right? Quit freaking out. The rapture hasn't happened yet. You haven't been left behind, and you aren't living in the tribulation. Not yet. It hasn't happened. He says, don't you remember what I taught you when I was there? Don't you remember what we went through? I laid it all out for you. So pay no attention to the fact you got some other letter claiming that you missed it, that you're left behind. Right? Pay no attention to that. I didn't send that letter to you. That wasn't from me. Ignore that letter. Somebody is, you know, already back then in the early days of the church, someone was already sending out, you know, fake news. It, it wasn't from Paul. He says, I didn't do that. Don't you remember what I taught you? This doesn't align with what I taught you. Here's what I taught you. Right? And he gives them this picture of, of of what will be happening during the tribulation and why they should know that it hasn't happened yet. That's what he's telling them. Now, I'm actually encouraged a lot today when I talk to, to unbelievers because they seem to have enough biblical knowledge to understand that something's amiss. Right? They watch the news. They know what's going on. They're watching the economy tank. You know, banks fold like what just happened here recently, run on the bank. It sounded like something right out of the movie of that uh, It's a Wonderful Life movie, right? You know, and you know, all these things that are going on. And they know. They said, they're like, something's not right. Something's wrong. And I've even had you know, people I work with come up to me and say, we're living in the tribulation. We're there. This is it. They know enough about what the Bible says that they can come up and say, this is it. These are the, these are the last days. Right? This is the end times. We're there. 
Well, it's kind of like what Paul is writing to Thessalonica here. He's like, listen, you, you guys are all freaking out because despite what I taught you when I was there, now you believe that the rapture happened, that you were left behind, and that you're living in the tribulation. I'm here to tell you that it's not that way. It's not here yet. It's coming. It's not here yet. You, you're, you haven't been left behind. Don't worry. Right? But I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. I'm not encouraged so much sometimes when I talk to Christians who should know all this already who have no clue. That's discouraging to me when I talk to people who I believe should understand all this and they're just ignoring it. They're just paying it no attention. They don't care. They seem to have their blinders on and they don't really want you to bring it up to them because it kind of ruins their day. We've talked about it before. There's this term, it's an actual term, it's called rapture anxiety. People get rapture anxiety. Right? They don't want to hear about it. They don't want to hear about end times or the last days of the second coming or the rapture or any of those things. Blinders on. When they, then they should know all this because they profess to be Christians and be following Jesus. Right? I mean, there are people today, I've read posts this week of people who are already not, you know, claiming so-and-so to be the Antichrist, claiming that the seal judgments have already started right, in Revelation. They haven't, trust me. <laughs> we would know. We wouldn't be here. Right? But, I mean, the, the, so people believe these things. So, so I thought, well, let me just ask a simple question. Do you believe we're in the last days? I mean, do you believe we're in the last days? And then, yes, it's a trick question. I know that's kind of a trick question. Right? But, it's, but it, you know, yes or no, do you believe we're in the last days? Right? So if you said yes, which is the correct answer, right? then I, the next question that I would ask you is, well, when did the last days start? Earlier than that. Right? When did the last days start? See, see, like I said, people feel that we're in the last days now, but that's a gut feeling for them. Right? It's a gut feeling. And I don't want us to go by a gut feeling because sometimes that's just what we ate for breakfast. And it really isn't the truth Right? concerning the matter. So I, wanna, I want you to know when the last days started. Biblically speaking, when did the last days start? Yeah. I mean, for example, we'll get to that in just a second. Don't get ahead of me, wifey. Right? The, I mean, like, I mean, the world's paying attention to what's going on. We have this thing called a doomsday clock. Right? The doomsday clock was created, what, in 1947? Two, day, two years after they created the atomic bomb, right? And today, right now, the doomsday clock is 90 seconds from midnight. That's the closest it's ever been to doomsday. 90 seconds to midnight. When they, when they first started the doomsday clock, it was, uh, it was nine, seven minutes to midnight. That's where we get that phrase, if you've ever heard it, seven minutes to midnight. So the, the doomsday clock, when they, 1947, was seven minutes to midnight. Now in 1991, which I guess was a really peaceful year, I don't know, I don't remember it, very well. George H.W. Bush was president. We were like 17 minutes. We went backwards. We were 17 minutes from midnight. I didn't, I didn't know we were ever, especially under a bush. I don't remember it ever being, being that good. But, And I also find it interesting that the doomsday clock was created a year before Israel became a nation in 1948. I just find that interesting because, you know, all biblical prophecy surrounds Israel, right? Specifically the end times. And, and Israel had to become a nation again for all these things to take place. And so two years after they created the atomic bomb, 
they have the doomsday clock, and little did they know at the time, a year later after they create the doomsday clock, right, prophetically speaking, against all humanly odds, prophecy was fulfilled and Israel became a nation again. Little did they know how that clock would start ticking at that time. Right? So I asked the question, when did the last days start? If you believe we're in the last days, when do you believe the last days started? Right? So you'll have a biblical answer. Because yes, we are in the last days. I would say we are in the latter part of the last days. Or I would say we are in the last of the last days. That last, the phrase, the exact phrase, the last days, if you look it up in the Bible, it only occurs seven times. Seven is the number of completion, by the way. Right? And all Old Testament verses that use, the phrase, that use that phrase, the last days, point to a future event. And all New Testament verses that use that phrase point to the time in which we live, the here and now. Okay? So when did the last days start? Well, let's take a little trip, shall we? And go to Acts chapter 2. And I understand that this is going to be subject to interpretation. And what I mean is you may not agree with me, but it does not going to change what I'm going to tell you. So in Acts chapter 2, and for the context, you know where we are in Acts chapter 2, we're talking Pentecost, right? And this is 10 days after Christ ascended. And Jesus promised that God the Father would send a helper. And who is he referring to? The Holy Spirit, right? You can look that up in John 14 if you wish to study it more. And he promises that the Holy Spirit will come to dwell with them and will come to dwell in them. This is important. Right? Because the old, in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come and go from the saints, empowering them for service, but not necessarily remaining with them. This is why David, for example, says, Take not your Holy Spirit from me, O Lord. Okay? But now, for those who have given their life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Okay? And he will lead us in truth. And on this day, in Pen- on Pentecost here, in Acts chapter 2, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit. And little flames are dancing on top of all the disciples' heads, right? And, and they start, uh, uh, you know, they call them tongues of fire. And they start speaking in tongues, which as, we turn out, as it turns out to be, is foreign languages, right? And as you can imagine, it shocked them. But not just them, it shocked all who heard them, right? Because the shock of them speaking in tongues kind of like sent them out into the streets and everybody from all nations that were there in Jerusalem at the time. And if you read Acts chapter 2, you can see that there was a ton of people from a ton of different nations there. Matter of fact, let me read some of it for you. Starting at verse 6, it says, And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? And then they go on to tell you who's there. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Everyone was just absolutely amazed at what they were hearing. So they came to the logical conclusion, of course, that all the disciples were drunk. Right? They must all be drunk. How is it that we're hearing this? Right? 
But in verse 14, Peter stands up with the other 11. He lifts up his voice and he addresses them. And he says, men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk. Right? It's only the third hour. Trust me, we haven't started drinking yet. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he goes to quote Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. And he says this, and in the last days it shall be. God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. That's a wide prophetic picture you're getting. It's not just one little tiny event, right? But what does it start with? It starts with, and in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And that just happened right there in Acts chapter 22. So Peter's telling them, wait a minute, no, this was prophesied back in Joel, and it's coming to pass now in the last days. So when did the last days start? The last days started at Pentecost. When the Lord poured out his spirit on all flesh. And it shouldn't surprise you then, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, that the last days started... Last days started before you were born, by the way. You were born into the last days. But you weren't just born into the last days. Guess what else was born into the last days? The church. Because it was the creation of the church as well. The last days started at the same time God created the church. The church were born into the last days. It was the birth of the church age. When does the church age end? The rapture. Yeah. Exactly. That's when the church is removed. In the book of Revelations, chapter 2 and 3, Jesus has John write letters to seven churches. And at the time John wrote these letters, these were all churches that were in Asia Minor. They're all in the same postal route. And so all these letters had a practical application to the churches which existed. And then they also have, of course, a practical application for us today. As a matter of fact, if you read through the letters of the churches and you come and you, you know, apply that to the church today, you'll be flabbergasted about how applicable they are. But some say that they, that they also represent different church ages, that each letter represents a different church age. Now, like different historical time periods of the church. Now, I think there's a lot of speculation in that. And the only reason I say that is because if you look at the application from all the letters, you can apply it to every single church age. Every letter can be applied to every single church age. So it's very difficult to say, well, it's just this church age or that church age. But I was taught this idea way back in the day when I was going through Bible college by Pastor Wayne. I was taught this. And the last church, the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, right, the church that became apathetic, the church that was uh, detached, that was uninterested in Jesus, that would be the current church age. That's the church age we live in today. So it should be no surprise then that after this letter to Laodicea in Revelations chapter 3, when we get to the beginning of Revelations chapter 4, John is then called up to heaven right, by Jesus with a voice like a trumpet. And the church is not mentioned again in the book of Revelation until chapter 22. Their tribulation starts in Revelation chapter 6. So where was the church during the whole time? Where's the church? It's removed. 
It's been taken out of the picture at the rapture. The rapture, which Paul addresses here in 2 Thessalonians when he's talking to the church there in Thessalonica, he's like, no, the rapture hasn't happened. You haven't been left behind. The rapture is a divisive subject because there's so many different ideas. Some people are crazy enough to think that the church will go through the tribulation. There isn't going to be a rapture. Why? Why do you want to go through the tribulation? I mean, some debate when the rapture will happen as in pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath, right? There's all these different versions of, of, of when the rapture will happen, or as Amir Safardi says, you know, you have rare, medium, well, and well done. Some say that the rapture is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible, like Hank Hanegraaff, right? Back in his day, he was like, the rapture is not mentioned in the Bible. The Bible doesn't support the rapture. He says, anybody who can look at the Bible and see the rapture is reading into the text, or they're reading between the lines. It's not there. There's nothing to support it. Anybody that reads their Bible should be able to see the rapture plain as day, right? People who say that the rapture doesn't exist in the Bible, all I have to say is really just give me a break. Come on. Let me sit down and show you at least three different areas, and then not, not counting all the Old Testament examples of the rapture, then you can tell me that the Bible doesn't talk about the rapture. You can do that, I guess, if you want to look, read it with your eyes closed. But that would be out the only way, right? And I know, I mean, one of the biggest arguments, and I know you've heard this one a million times, well, the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible, Right, because the, the ra- word rapture comes from the Latin word rapturus or raptura or whatever the Latin word is. And you're correct, the, the New Testament's written in Greek. Right? The Latin word raptura is not in there. If you want to read the Latin Vulgate, go ahead, you'll find it. It's there. Right? The word in the Greek is harpazo. Right? And harpazo means to be caught up or to be seized or be taken by force. It's pretty much the same meaning as, as rapture. And, but this is really important. The, the word implies that you were not taken on your own accord as it was planned, like you bought your tickets and packed your bags and you're ready to go. Um, it means that you were caught up in seas at the time that you were least expecting it. And that's when the rapture of the church will happen. It'll happen before the tribulation starts. Right? The Bible speaks on this as clearly as it speaks on anything. And it clearly teaches that the rapture, the rapture is our blessed hope. Right here, I actually made a slide for you. Second, or Titus. Yeah, don't get ahead of myself. Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, right? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. That's the rapture. The appearing of our of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus also talks about it in John 14. Right? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Who changes zip codes there? We do. Not Jesus, right? The rapture is not the second coming. They're two different events. 
And Jesus never puts his boots on the ground at the rapture. We meet him up in the sky. On the second coming, he comes and his boots hit the ground. Right? Paul also writes about it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We shall catch that. We shall not all sleep, which means we're not all going to die. When the, the rapture's, there's going to be, right? You understand what I'm saying? Some people will be alive when the rapture happens, right? If the rapture didn't happen, and we were supposed to all be removed before the wrath of God comes, before the tribulation, we, we, we would just all have to die, I guess, before, the, before it happens. But Paul says, we shall not all sleep, right? But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So the rapture is going to happen. Now, do we know the day or the hour of the rapture? Absolutely not. We're not date setters. We're not even trying to figure out the day or the hour. It's a ridiculous thought because every time someone says something, of course it's not going to happen that way. I mean, Chuck Smith learned that the hard way. You can't set dates for things like this. There's no way to set a date. We don't know. We're not date setters. The rapture is a signless event, which means that there are not any specific signs which need, we need to see before the rapture can happen. Nothing needs to occur on the prophetic calendar. Nothing. But we do know, we, the Bible does tell us what the world is going to look like as we get closer and closer to that day. Right? Second Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days, those are the days we're living in now, right? there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Also, Matthew 24, verses 6 through 8, right? And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. Rumors of wars every single day now, right? Not just talking about us going to war with Russia, you know? We're fighting the war with Russia now. We're just doing it through the Ukraine, but we're not talking, I'm not talking about that, but I mean, just watch the, the Middle East. Every, I mean, every single day is a war or a rumor of war, right? See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. We've had more earthquakes this year than what? That's crazy, right? But these are but the beginnings of birth pains. This is just the beginnings of birth pains. Right, the birth pains haven't even gotten difficult yet. But it sounds familiar, right? We can, we, I don't even have to give you, I'm not I'm going to give you, I'm not going to give you any news reports. I don't have to. Because you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you know, watch the news. Straighten up and raise up your heads because the redemption is drawing near, as it tells us in Luke. So when the rapture happens, and I don't, you know, the movie's going to address this somehow, and I'm not sure how, because it's going to drop us kind of like into this scene after the rapture happens. Um, the world's going to be thrown into chaos. I mean, they, you have to understand that 
there may be a time period where mainstream media, because they don't want to tell you anything that's actually going on, is going to try to cover it up or hide the fact or report some other type of news, right? But they're not going to be able to do that forever. They might try to, to divert attention away from the fact that a whole bunch of people just disappeared, right? And all, all the calamity that came from that, right? But eventually it's going to be too much. Like you can't cover up what's going to happen because there will be, you know, it's, it's tough to think of, but there will be Christians who were, you know, driving cars and flying planes and, you know, doing all these things that are raptured out. I mean, it's going to cause a little bit of a mess, to say the least. And they're going to try to explain it away. I mean, we're going to be abducted by UFOs, right? That's, that's generally what we think of nowadays because of all the news stories concerning UFOs. They're already trying to set the foundation for that. Let me show you. I read this one yesterday. It came out on Thursday, right? Look at this news story. Pentagon, UFO chief. I didn't even know there was a UFO chief at the Pentagon. Pentagon UFO chief says, alien mothership in our solar system possible. You know, they were trying to call some of those balloons that we were shooting down that one week. We shot down, what, four balloons over six days or something like that. And the first one they said was a Chinese weather balloon, but the rest of them, they refused to call balloons, right? They were saying, we don't, the pilots, they were interviewing the pilots, and the pilots were like, I don't, I don't know. It, it wasn't a balloon. I can't identify it. It was an, un, it was an unidentified flight. I don't know. It, wasn't, it didn't seem man-made to me, right? They were coming up with, with all these things. In this article, it says, there is a possibility that extraterrestrial motherships and smaller probes may be visiting planets in our solar system. The head of the Pentagon's Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Research Office noted in a report shared Tuesday, an artificial interstellar object could potentially be a parent craft that releases many small probes during its close passage to Earth, an operational construct not too dissimilar from NASA missions. You can't make this stuff up. I mean... But here's the truth, right? The church is not destined for wrath. That's what we take from it. It tells us. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Revelation 3.10 Because you have kept my... This is a letter to the church of Philadelphia, but it's applicable to you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Right? So it is possible that the rapture is not going to happen during our lifetime. We don't know the, the day or the hour. But it does not negate the truth of God's word, which is we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Right? So asleep or awake, wherever we are at the time it happens, we will be raptured. Matter of fact, those who are asleep will be raptured first. You get a head start on everyone else. Right? And when the rapture happens, guess what ends? The church age. Right? The church age ends. When the church is removed, the church age is over. And sometime after that, though we don't know exactly when exactly, the tribulation starts. Is there a t My wife is like, I want a timeline of events. Okay? I'll give you a, a couple timelines. Right? They're, they're simple and straightforward, and they're by no means uh, crazy. I, I did edit them a little. But you can see, present church age, you are here. Okay? In case you wanted to know where you were on the timeline. Then you have the rapture of the church. You have the seven-year tribulation in the middle of the abomination of desolation. And then you have the return of Christ. Now here's another one. I kept them simple. 
I didn't want to put in all the information and make them confusing. Right? The rapture and the second coming, right? Christ returns for his church with the rapture. You have a three and a half year period and the abomination of desolation. They don't throw it in there. But then you have the second coming of Christ where Christ returns with his church at the end of the seven years. Now they say that the last three and a half years of the tribulation, they often call it the great tribulation, but I'm going to tell you all seven years is hell. Okay? We should never try and play down the first three and a half years of the tribulation if it's going to be a piece of cake. Have you read the seal judgments? I don't know, right? It's, it's not going to be a piece of cake. So there's some timelines for you. What's the tribulation, right? Well, we know the tribulation is often, in the Bible is referred to as the 70th week of Daniel. It's referred to the time of Jacob's trouble. It's referred to the day of the Lord. It's all the same thing. The purpose of the tribulation, I've said this many times, it rhymes so you can remember it. The purpose of the tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. Okay? That's the purpose of the tribulation. It's not for the church. That's why we're not here. We have no reason to go through it. Right? We are not Israel. The purpose of the tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. Now, People will argue against it and why some people think that the church goes through the tribulation is that Jesus says in this world you will have tribulation, right? And that word in the Greek for tribulation is a very simple word. It's flip, flip, flipsis, right? It's a simple word you can't pronounce. It's flipsis. And it just means trouble or affliction. And it can mean, you know, you stubbed your toe in the morning or it can mean much greater things as in the tribulation. So it has a wide range of things that it can mean. So interestingly enough, and this is just kind of off the record, but it's a rabbit trail I hopped down. The word comes from the root thlebo, which means a worn path. Okay? So what's a worn path? It's a path that's well used. Right? It's a path that's well worn. It's a path that's well trodden. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, right? For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Which gate is the worn path? The wide gate, right? That's the gate that leads to the tribulation. Right? The wide and the easy path. All tribulation that you go through in life, I hate to tell you this, because you may not feel this way, is tribulation with a lowercase t. And you've probably gone through some really serious stuff, right? No matter how heartbreaking, no matter how devastating, no matter how wrenching things that you've gone through in life, these are man's tribulations. It's not God's wrath. It's tribulation with a lowercase t. The tribulation that is coming, that the church is not destined for, the body of Christ will not go through, is tribulation with a capital T. It's God's wrath, not man's. Right? The Greek word for wrath is orge. It's, you know, you, it, it's written like ogre, but it's or, orge. And it means anger or vengeance. It's a day of reckoning, right? All wrongs will be repaid through the vengeance of God. God will make all things right. That's what's coming. God's wrath. Right? We don't know the time of the rapture, yes, but we do know what the seven years of the tribulation are going to look like. 
right? We do know what will happen within those seven years. One of the things that's going to happen at the start, of course, is the coming of the Antichrist. It tells us in Daniel 9, verse 27, And he, the Antichrist, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. The Antichrist will rise and the tribulation will commence. How much longer after the rapture will that happen? I don't know. We don't need to know. I don't think it's going to be that long of a wait, but we're not going to be here for it. Right? Second Thessalonians 3, 4 Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion, which, as I said, is the falling away or the apostasy, comes first. And just for the record, the falling away or the apostasy has already started because it precedes the day of the Lord. That means it's already started. Right? It tells us that because lawlessness will be increased, which we're seeing now, the love of many will grow cold. That's in Matthew 24. It tells us that many will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It tells us that in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Right? And then after this, after the apostasy, then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. That's the Antichrist. Right? Who's the Antichrist? The son of perdition, the son of destruction, the lawless one. Right? We try to name names. Right? You know, one, you know, one of the most one, like recently anyway that comes up a lot is Yuval Noah Harari. That guy's demonic. Works for the WEF. So along with him, you have Klaus Schwab, and you know, people throw things out there, George Soros and Bill Gates and Obama, you know. And, uh, you know, anybody from the World Economic Forum, let's just pick one of them. I don't know. One of those guys is going to be the Antichrist. The Pope, I think the Pope is, going to, is more along the lines of the false prophet than the Antichrist. But, uh, you know, the Pope's always a common thing. Even Zelensky, it's like, uh, yeah, you know, they could be, all right, Antichrist. It's fruitless to ponder, quite frankly. Again, we won't be here when he arrives. But Revelation chapter 6, verse 2 paints him this way. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and on, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And you might think at first, if someone read that to you and you hadn't heard it before, you might be thinking, hey, it's Jesus. Crown, white horse, right? Well, yeah, but it's the Antichrist. It's a counterfeit. Yes, he comes on a white horse, and yes, he has a crown. He had a bow, but no arrows, right? Well, yeah, he's the counterfeit Christ. That's why you, you might think that. It's a false Jesus. The Antichrist and the false prophet are going to bring with them a one-world government, a one-world economy, a one-world religion. The world will have to worship the image of the beast. They'll have to take the mark of the beast. You can't buy and sell unless you have it. I, just, I don't know if you've thought about this. I'm sure you have. But you do realize no one's going to be duped into taking the mark of the beast. It's not going to be something that you were tricked into. You're not going to go one day to your doctor for an appointment, come out and have the mark of the beast on your forehead or on your hand and be like, oh, hey, what happened? Oh, huh, I got you, man. 
right? It's not going to happen that way. You're going to willingly do it. You're never, whoever's here at that time will not be tricked into doing it. They will do it to save their lives. That's why they'll do it. They, they'll do it because they're worshiping the beast. And they know if they don't worship the beast and they don't have the mark, they can't buy or they can't sell and, and they will be killed. Those who don't take the marks will be hunted down and killed. The beast is going to go after the saints, which will be the ones who are not taking the mark. The tribulation saints. I heard a pastor who got up and speak about how during the tribulation, someone's going to go to the grocery store and they're going to grab their basket and they're going to fill it full of groceries and they're going to come to check out because, you know, they're hungry and they need to eat. And they're going to get there and they're going to be like, where's your mark? You know, I don't have a mark. Can't buy the groceries. And he's like, that's what it's going to be like. And I'm like, that's not what it's going to be like because those who have the mark are going to be hiding. They're not going to be out buying groceries at the grocery store. And those without the mark aren't going to be going to the grocery store trying to get groceries because they're going to be being hunted down and killed. It's not going to just be, oh, go home. You don't have the mark. Sorry, you can't buy any food. It's going to be like, kill this guy. He doesn't have the mark. They aren't just going to be going to the grocery store. So the groundwork for this ungodly and demonic kingdom is being laid today, right? Because the mystery of lawlessness, it tells us in 2 Thessalonians, which we just read, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's already at work. So when that day comes, Antichrist is going to step into power pretty easily. Because all all the groundwork will have been laid for him already. Demonically, it's right? It tells us in verse 9 that we just read here in 2 Thessalonians, right? The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. But this can only happen once the restrainer has been removed. Right? Verse 7 that we read says, and only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And you're like, well, who's the restrainer? Well, the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit isn't leaving don't misinterpret what's being said. Right? It's, I mean, you know, you think, oh, what? Like the Holy Spirit's going to leave? Kind of like he did in Ezekiel 10 when, he le- when the glory of the Lord left the temple? Well, okay, kind of. But not exactly. Right? If you remember, the Apostle Paul says, do you not know that you bo- your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? We just talked about the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. He came to be with you and to be in you. You have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Right? You were not your own. You were bought at a price. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when the church is removed at the rapture, the restraining power of the Holy Spirit through the church is taken out of the world. And when that restraining power is taken out of the world, it's fair game there for the Antichrist. And you're like, he's being restrained now? Because it sure doesn't seem like it. Right? You look at all the, all the immorality and the demonic debauchery and, in the news, and you're like, this is being restrained? This is, <laughs> this is restrained? Serious? Yes, it is. So then imagine how much worse it's going to get when we're gone, when the church is removed. It's going to be hell on earth for seven years. Earthquakes, famines, wars, demonic locusts, the seas turning into blood, right? Sea life dying. De- it's unimaginable. The death, death, the death life it will be unimaginable. You can't comprehend what's going to happen. At one point, 
uh, there's going to be blood that's like four feet high and however long wide that talks about, I mean, between the seal judgments and the bowl judgments and the trumpet judgments, etc. I mean, we don't have time for the whole rundown through the book of Revelation, right? but you get the idea. Right? 2 Peter 3.10 says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It's not going to be a fun time. Right? Nobody wants to be here for that. You don't want anybody you know or love to be here for that. But in the end, what happens? What happens in the end? Well, we know, right? Jesus wins. Matter of fact, it tells us in what we read this morning. It says, Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming, referring to the Antichrist. He's not going to win. I mean, the Battle of Armageddon, which we, we, which we tend to think is just really big, humongous, just like fantastic battle, like something out of the Lord of the Rings movie or something like that, just all this. It's like over before you even think about it. Because of Jesus. He just comes down and stomps them out. Doesn't matter who they bring against them or how many. It'll be over. Jesus wins. And so Paul, when he's writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he's writing to them about the rapture in his first letter, he ends it with this. He says, you know, in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, he says, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. What words? What words he just talked about in that in that chapter, right? Which is the rapture. He says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Encourage one another with these words. Why aren't we teaching this more often? Why do churches neglect this? It is an encouraging word. Eschatology is to encourage us and give us hope so that we understand one, yeah, not like we've said many times before, not to scare us, but to prepare us, right? So that we're prepared for what's coming, but we're not scared of what's coming. Because we, our lives are in Jesus and we know what Jesus has promised. Right? We're to encourage one another with the rapture. We're to encourage one another with eschatology. What did I say eschatology meant? Literal translation. The last word. Right? Well, guess what? Jesus is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the what? He's the first and the last. Who's the last word? Jesus is the last word. Jesus is the last word. Not only does Jesus get the last word, Jesus is the last word. When you're teaching people eschatology and teaching, talking about end times, last days, tribulation, even though that stuff is scary, even though you know, unbelievers are looking at what's going around us in the world today and possibly very frightened about the future, you can tell them, listen, I understand. 
I completely understand, but there's hope. There, there's a, you can be encouraged by what's going on here, but it's found in Jesus. Right? There is hope in the last days. Jesus. Listen, I would rather be a church saint than a tribulation saint. And I would rather those I love be church saints than tribulation saints. Or millennial saints for that matter. Church saints. Right? I mean, tell people, listen, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, now is the time before the day approaches. Right? Before the tribulation comes. I have a friend who I speak to down in Arizona who even calls me up, and he calls me up. One of the reasons he says he calls me is just to make sure I'm still here. Because <laughs> he's like, I know if I call you and I can't get hold of you, I'm in trouble. Right? And he's not really joking. He understands enough. I mean, he is. He, he has a growing relationship in the Lord. We encourage people with these words. There is hope in the last days. Put your trust in Jesus. So how should we, though, as Christians, live in these last days? Because ultimately, we need to know how to be during these last days because we're the example that people are going to follow. We're the example that people are going to watch. If we're all panicked and freaking out and building bomb shelters and doing all this other stuff that we can do, I'm not talking about that we shouldn't be prepared for what's going on and being paid attention, you know, what's going on economically and everything else around us at the moment. But how should we be living in these last days? Well, we should be prepared, not scared. We should be awake, the Bible tells us. We should be sober, right? The Bible tells us, I was listening to uh, Greg Laurie talk about the idea of being awake and sober, because it's not just talking about being awake, right? I woke up, okay, I'm awake. No, you could be, you you could have woken up and still be asleep, quite frankly, right? Sober doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that you're not drinking, okay? It's, you know, you're being awake, you're sober. Greg Laurie was talking about how his father, Greg Laurie was, his adopted father, uh, came to Christ, right? And so if you watch, if you've seen that movie, Jesus Resolution, or if you've uh, read Greg's book, you know that his mom took him and they left, right? She had like seven husbands. And she took him and they left and he's like, well, where's dad? And he's, well, he's not coming with us, right? And so Greg Laurie didn't meet his adopted father, I mean, again, until much later in life after Greg was married and had a son, <clears throat> and stuff like that. So he gets hold of his dad, lives in New Jersey, and uh, he's out there actually preaching. And uh, Greg Laurie was out there preaching in Central Park or something like that. So he's like, "Well, we'll meet you afterwards." And so they went over to his house, and he's like, "Yeah, stay with us, please." Right? And so, he, and and his uh, his uh, adopted father was now married, new family, kids, etc. And um, the wife asks him, "Hey, Greg, how did you you know come to know Jesus?" So Greg. <clears throat> tells him the whole story, tells the family the whole story. And he says his father's watching him the whole time, just sitting there at the other end of the table like this, not saying anything. He was a lawyer or something like that. So he's just sitting there listening to everything Greg said. And so he says, hey, Greg, you want to come running with me in the morning? Okay, you know, like six in the morning, New York time, which is like, you know, for Greg's time clock was like three in the morning. He's like, oh, okay, whatever. So his dad wakes him up. And he goes uh, running with them, and he's like, I'm trying to get the sleep out of my eyes, and it's cold morning, and, and, uh, <coughs> and he's like, I'm not really awake. And uh, they go out through their morning walk or run or whatever, and his dad says, Greg, I listened to every word you said last night, and I want you to know. He says, I want to accept Jesus right now. 
And Greg said, I woke right up. <laughs> That's what we're talking about, being awake. Right? Being awake to those moments. Greg you know, had to go over, are you sure? <laughs> Let me go over everything again with you. No, right? Yes, I'm sure. Be awake, be sober, be vigilant, be holy. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 tells us, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's how we should be living. Live for Jesus, heart, soul, and mind. Listen, we are to be encouraged, encouraged by the rapture, and we are to encourage others with it as well by the promises of Jesus that he is returning for us. That at the sound of a trumpet will be caught up to meet him in the air. That's a supernatural certainty. Guaranteed through God's covenant with us through Christ Jesus. The bridegroom is returning for the bread. He will not leave us orphans. So Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. I'm going to end with this. And yes, I'm going long and that's okay. You'll all live. Right? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You can see the day drawing near, can't you? Well, we have nothing to fear. So be encouraged. Right? Hold fast to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And thank you for this. And I pray, Lord, that you just speak this to us and work this out in our hearts and our lives. Let us, Lord, live boldly in faith, not afraid, not scared, but just bold in our faith, encouraged by your promises, Lord, that you will not leave us orphans, that you're coming to get us. So we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that we can just continue to spread this message and share it with all those who need to hear it, that there is hope in the last days, that there is hope for them, and it's found in Jesus Christ. So we thank you for this, Lord, and we pray you just bless this day. In Jesus' name, amen.